0: Okay. There we go. Hey, we'll start again. So where were we? Well, we were looking at Galatians. We're starting a new series. Thank you for coming along. Uh, you're here right at the beginning of it. Today is an intro as well as chapters one and into two. So we've got quite a bit to cover. What's the time? We're okay. Lunch is not a couple of hours away yet. Okay. So let me pray and we'll continue. Father, uh, we thank you for your word your gift to us. As we humbly look at it together, explore it, we pray that you would give us your spirit to open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. Speak to us. Speak right into our lives and quicken us. Make us alive in Christ through your word, through his spirit. Amen. Amen. So you're preaching a false gospel. I know that. we we'll have the next slide, please, uh, um, Meg. You should be accursed if you go backwards too. Thank you. I better just wait for this to come on the screen. Backwards and then forwards. Thank you. As for you, you're throwing people into confusion. And the young lady here, I know this is true. You're under a curse, okay? What's going on here? What is going on here? What's this about? Kieran, Kieran, ready for us. It's Galatians chapter 1. You're throwing people into confusion. You're under God's curse. You're perverting the gospel. You should be cursed. You're preaching a gospel. That's no gospel at all. That's Galatians. The book summed up, and certainly chapter one. We read those very words. We'll look at them together shortly. And Paul's point is simply this. That it's no joke that to tamper with the gospel is to pervert The gospel. To tamper with the gospel is to pervert the gospel. Galatians one verse eight. If even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, what does Paul say? To anyone who tampers, meddles with the gospel, he should be cursed. The gospel must never. Be tampered with. It's absolutely serious. The point is this, friends, the gospel is the greatest gift of God to humanity. It's the greatest gift of God to humanity. What is it? There's an opportunity for you to respond. What is it? What is the gospel? It's so great. What is it? Someone have a go? It's God's word. It incorporates that. Thank you, Carol. Something more. Something a bit more definitive. His law. His law. His law. Yes, sort of. Something a bit more. It's His truth. Something a bit more. Yes, it is the word of God. Thank you, Jenny. God bless you. And it is Jesus died for our sins. Is, but here's what I'm really looking for. Someone read that out loud. What is the gospel? It's God's means by which we're saved from... You know, you hardly ever hear that. You hardly ever hear that. Whenever we think of the gospel, or when it's proclaimed to us, it's like, come to Jesus and you'll have a better marriage better sex better kids better wealth seriously that's that's how it's sold you know hey, look this can do something for you have you have you heard that before this can make you happier that's not the gospel that's not the gospel the gospel is the means that god provides by which we can be saved from whose wrath? That's an incredible truth, isn't it? That the very God who is at odds with us is the very God who provides the means to be back into relationship with Him. It's incredible. Look, here's the reality none of us like to accept, but things aren't good between us, the human race, and our God. Here's what Romans 1 says. Here is the state of our world. Here's why bad things happen. Why do bad things happen in our world? Because we are at odds with our maker. Can you see that? The wrath of God has been revealed in our world. We are so at odds with our God that he has completely removed his hand. he has isn't completely, almost completely removed his hand from us. And when God removes his hand from people, what do they end up doing? What happens when God removes himself from a society, from a world where his restraint has gone? What happens? We, in fact, let me ask lot about like this. What do we see a very specific demonstration of a couple of days ago on our news in Christchurch? What happens when God removes His hand from the human society? We spiral downwards into absolute depravity. You see, the wrath of God has been revealed is the wrath whereby He removes His restraint And the net result of that is we become increasingly wicked towards one another. And this is where the gospel comes in. What the gospel does, what does the gospel do to that? Yes, it deals with it. Because if you can deal with the root issue, that God's enmity with humanity, you deal with what goes on, what happened a couple of days ago in Christchurch. Can you see the point? You have to deal with the net, and and the way that's dealt with is the gospel is God's means of satisfying His wrath against humanity. It's an escape pod. It's what, in in an emergency, spares us destruction. In an emergency, saves us. So the gospel, then, this is what's going on in Galatian. Has come to us; it's intact. When Paul preached it, it still is it today. It's fully working, it's fully functional, it's fully reliable. And so therefore, if it's not broken, don't try and fix it, Lynn. I'm telling you that now, okay? It's not broken. And so it doesn't need anyone to fix it. But in Galatia, such a thing is happening. And what's going on? there? Somebody, Somebody, you may know the book, what is going on, what is tampering or meddling with the gospel in Galatia? So much so, hey, I could do with a, with a guy here, hey, he'll do, he'll do. Look, so much so in chapter 2, Paul comes up to Peter, he looks him in the eye, and he stands him to his face, and he tells him, you're wrong, you're wrong. What causes the apostle to be that angry, With Peter, a fellow apostle. What's going wrong? Where's my glasses there? Look, look, you're putting me off now. Okay? Right. What's gone wrong? What is going wrong with the gospel in Galatia? What makes Paul so angry? What's tampering with the escape pod that humanity has? Someone have a guess. The law. It is the law. It's the law. And look, it'll be on the next slide there. What's Galatians' beef? Galatians' beef is simply this: okay, the Old Testament law and those who are peddling it, we're going to look at this in the series. Jews who profess faith in Jesus but are in bondage to the law. That's what's wrong in Galatia: is that there's a group of Jews who, I would argue, are not converted who have absorbed Jesus into Judaism, and they are trying to put on the Galatian church this new syncretistic religion that is neither Christianity nor Judaism. Do you understand what's going on? Is these group of, called Judaizers who've absorbed Jesus into their thinking and are amalgamating to religion into a new synchronized religion, which is neither Judaism nor Christianity, and therefore is doomed. Remember what we said last week about the old uh, but the new cloth being attempted to be sewn onto the old? What did it do? It was incompatible, erected, and the new wine that was attempting to be poured into the old. What, 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 happens? what happens when you try to amalgamate new and old wineskins like that? You lose both. What's going on in Galatia is that these Judaizers are trying to recreate a syncretistic religion where you can have a bit of Moses and a bit of Jesus. And we've said already, and Jesus has preempted this, that when you try and do that, you don't get a better religion, you destroy everything. And that's why Paul is so upset. Simply put, we're looking at legalism. Legalism is the issue in Galatia. Legalism is this. Hey, someone give me the definition. What's legalism? If you define it in a single phrase, how would you, because this is the issue in Galatia, It's legalism, how would you define legalism? Yeah, it's applying, it's trying to put on to Christian freedom, okay, Old Testament law. That's legalism, okay. Trying to put on to Christian freedom, Old Testament law. That was the issue going on in Galatia. Here's fundamentally the difference, the transition that's occurred. In John 1, we we hear these words as John is writing the gospel about Jesus. This is how he describes what's occurred with Jesus' coming. For the law was given through Moses, okay, stage one, epoch one, okay. But now that Jesus has come, we have. So before Jesus, there was a law system by which people were instructed since jesus has come what system do we now have because it's not a law system what is it it's a grace system it's an entirely new package it's an entire and here's here's, let me demonstrate to you what we're saying here we're saying that that now that the one has come what happens to the other yeah one has to be removed i'll give you the scriptures hebrews 7 listen to seven. Here's what the writer of the Hebrew says. When there is a change of the priesthood, let me stop there a second. Has there been a change of the priesthood since Jesus has come? Think about this. In what sense? Yes. What's the issue there? There's an issue with Jesus being the high priest. There's a whole change of the system. That's That's what that's talking about. There's a change of the priesthood. Because who should have been a priest? What family line should be priests? The Aaronic line, Aaron's descendant. Is Jesus from the line of Aaron? No, Judah, okay? So therefore, he can never be the priest. Jesus can never be a priest. So in order for him to become the priest, what's he done to that line? He's abolished the line. He stopped the Aaronic priesthood. And then here's what the writers of Hebrews says, if you stop the Aaronic priesthood, what do you have to do with the Mosaic law? It has to go with it. The priesthood and the legal system are <coughs> together. Can you see? If you change the priesthood, you have to change the law. Let me give you three more, but more quickly, Hebrews eight 13, we've already quoted this. By calling the new covenant new, what has it done to the first? It's made it obsolete, Romans 10, look at this. We'll look at all these in more detail in the series. But Romans 10, what has Christ done to Moses? It's put him at an end. It's put him at an end. And Luke 16, it's straight from Jesus' mouth. Straight from Jesus' mouth. The Lord and the prophets were proclaimed until. And now what happens? Now what do we preach? The kingdom of Jesus. Do you see what's going on here? The one stops for another to resume. They do not run in parallel. They cannot exist in parallel. And to put them side by side is to destroy both. Moses and grace, Moses and Jesus cannot exist side by side. The one. Has to give way to the other. It's just—it's about just about now. With the cogs turning, you should be asking yourself: So, what happens to the law? What about the law? What about the whole of the Old Testament then? What's this guy saying? That's what happens when you import people. You see, they're going to preach like rubbish. You know, hey, <laughs> what's this guy saying? About all of the Old Testament. So is it now of nil value? And I'm saying the whole of the Old Testament because the law, although it's in Exodus 20, the whole of the Old Testament is just an elaboration, development, enactment, and failure of that law. We're talking about the whole of the Old Testament. So what now happens to that law, to that book, to those chapters, to those truths, to those people should we just rip them out what now is the point of the old testament and the law does it michael does it have any purpose now in the lives of jesus's converts well it's, a, it's an instruction on how we should live our lives okay i'm going to say it's not have another go. Okay, there is some of that, Charles. There's some of that. Oops, that's a bit tall for me. There's some of that. Let me ask a bit more. Okay, we we'll probably, let me shift slightly. I'm going to say something even stronger. I'm going to say something quite strong. I'm going to say that the Old Testament does not teach a Christian how to live his Christian life. If he no longer does that, what then does he do? Does it do anything? Should we just rip it out? It's, and that's half the answer. Would you, bring, would you put it up, please, Make It's on the screen. It's in John 5. Someone read John 5. What does Jesus say the Old Testament? Can you go back to that? Uh, you have to go backwards and forwards to get to it. Thank you. And then forwards. What does Jesus say is the purpose of the Old Testament? Someone read these words. No, there they that, that, that is the answer. Yeah, the yes, thank you, Meg. I saw you were answering. I thought you were just having an issue with the, with the, with the slides. Okay, but that is the answer. Can you see? What, what is the purpose of the Old Testament? Let me ask you, what was the purpose of the Old Testament from the very moment that he was given? What was the exclusive and ultimate purpose of the Old Testament then and now? To testify to Christ. We'll have we'll add the text please if you go uh is the text the or forwards there it is. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And it's not the only one. If you read through them through Jesus' ministry in the gospels, he was continually pointing back to the old, and demonstrated how it spoke about him. What is the purpose of the Old Testament today? What is the purpose of the Old Testament today? What was the purpose of the Old Testament when he was given? What did the Jews get so badly wrong? He was about Jesus. And that's what he's saying. And can you see what he's saying? He's saying, you Pharisees, you Know the scriptures? In fact, did you you know the Sanhedrin, 17 members of the Sanhedrin, knew the entire Old Testament. Have you seen how big it is? Off by heart. He's saying, you know the scriptures, but you know nothing. Can you see what he's saying to them? You know nothing. Because you can't see me. I'm in the types the structures, the buildings, the people, the law. I'm in it. What was the tabernacle? What is the tabernacle a picture of? Jesus. What were the sacrifices a picture of? Jesus' sacrifice. Who are the prophets a picture of? The prophet of God. Who is Joseph a picture of? What happens to Joseph? What do his brothers do to him? Sell him for 30 uh, pieces of silver. What happens to Jesus. Get sold. Can you see? In every possible which way you can look at it, if we look at it properly, the whole of the Old Testament has always ever been about Jesus. You diligently study says Jesus. Do you know what that tells me? Do you know what this is a danger and we have to be careful of it? Do you know what that tells me? That I can be a student of the Bible, the most diligent student of the Bible. I can know it. Inside out, I can know every word and still be damned. Do you see? I can know every word and still be damned if I miss Jesus. I have to see Jesus, I have to embrace Jesus. I have to come into faith to Jesus. I have to love Jesus. That's what's going wrong in Galatia. That's what's warning up the apostles so much. Here's what Thomas Schreiner, Schreiner even writes uh, in commenting on these verses. This is not to say that the law has nothing to say to the church today. We're not saying we throw away the Old Testament. As Dorsey says, he's quoting somebody else. It still has, and this is his purpose today. In fact, this was his purpose always. Is a revelatory and pedagogical function. That's just a funny theological word for just meaning. <laughs> okay, sounds bizarre to say, I don't, I don't want to just use simple English. Does not really know what it means? Yeah, it means to teach. Okay, I mean, why didn't he just use the word teach? You tell me. Okay, okay, pedagogical, okay? It means, so the Old Testament has this purpose to reveal Jesus and to teach Jesus. Simply and finally, that is the purpose of the Old Testament. And yet in Galatia, what were the peddlers in Galatia doing with it? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're not very really well today, are you, mate? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what were they doing? They were beating people with law. It's Jesus and Jesus Alone. Sorry, Brendan. Uh, look, I'll pick a better model. You know, a hardier, a sturdier one—a real Aussie. You know, who can take beating on the head. Uh, so let me begin Galatians. Th- th- that's the background. That's where we're going. That's what the series will, will define. Okay. Let me just say one thing before I begin Galatians, proper. That doesn't mean, Lynn, you can do what you want. Okay. And we're going to get to that in chapter 5. Just understand this. We are not preaching carnal Christianity. What's carnal Christianity? Yes. You know, you come to faith in Jesus and do whatever you want. Okay, that's not Christianity. So we're not preaching that. Okay? Okay, we'll come to that in chapter 5. Is that there is, within the new covenant, a whole set of principles that steer and guide how we live we'll come to that you'll have to come to chapter 5 today but let's begin we're going to now begin looking at galatians let me start in chapter 1 verse 1 paul an apostle sent by god not by sent not by men but by jesus christ okay look in in the scholarly world and i've already explained to you the books on my, sh- on my shelf are written by some of the greatest scholars the world has ever seen these people write and explain and look into bible truth and scholars don't always agree with one another you know, there's no disagreement among scholars that Paul is the author of Galatians. it's, It's almost universally agreed Paul wrote this letter. So this is Pauline. Pauline is a female name, I know, but it's a theological term meaning it's Paul's. If you hear me say Pauline, okay, I'm not calling you if your name is Pauline. It's a reference to Paul's work. So it's generally agreed this is Pauline. He's writing to the church in Galatia. Now there's discrepancy there. We'll have the map, please. Next one, please. Is the Galatia? There's more than one Galatia in the ancient world. There was one up here, up north. Uh, But there's no evidence of Paul actually planting churches there, although he travelled that way. And there's this southern one here, it's in modern-day Turkey. It covers all this area. And so theologians, historians, archaeologists are uh, uh, suggesting that the glacier here is the Roman Southern Glacier. It's the one that's, as we've said, in modern-day Turkey. Verse 4, Who here, this is what it says about Jesus, and you touched on this earlier, Pippa. Sorry, <laughs> I can't help myself uh, doing that, uh, Pippa, uh, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Can you see this is the gospel in a nutshell? At the heart of the gospel, what do you have to have? You know, you, know, you have a vehicle. You can have the, 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 you know, the best and greatest vehicle out there, but if you don't put what into it, you're going nowhere. Fuel, okay? The gospel's fuel, the thing that makes it work, come alive, activate his, his, and his, specifically his death or his blood, same thing, okay, what makes the gospel work is his death, it's the fuel that makes the machine run, okay, what Jesus is doing on his cross, let me ask you, who did Jesus die to, Yeah, okay, I'm thinking of a person. It, it is, he died towards sin. But who was it towards? Was it, let me put it. Was it towards the devil? Did he die to the devil for the devil? Or to God, for God? Who did he die for? Who was he doing this for? Whose wrath was he appeasing? The devils or gods? Gods. god's. Here's the thing to understand. Okay, his death is his death, okay, towards God. It's God's wrath. He's offering God a peace offering. What's he saying by his death? To God. He's saying, take my death for him. That's what he's saying. It's a peace offering from Jesus towards God. I'm perfect. I've lived a perfect life. I've always been perfect. I was born in perfection. Take my perfect life because you accept perfection. And then destroy me in her place. And her place and his place and his place. Can you see? It's brilliant. It's the centre of our gospel. He gave himself for our sins. Next notice in verse six. Remember those accusations that we threw out at the beginning? We said that he was pervert him. We said that he was perverting the gospel. Here is where they are. Verse six. You are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. People are throwing you into confusion, trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let them. Be under God's curse. Let them be under God's curse repeated. Okay, so here's our heading. Here's our subheading for today. The gospel must never be tampered with, modified, adapted, or added to. That's the message. The gospel must never be tampered with, modified, adapted, or added to. And we will be found out. I remember when I was about 11, I had as a Christmas present this Kung Fu game. It was great. Uh, who's older than me? Well, most of you. <laughs> You're kidding. Uh, okay, some of you. Okay, this, that if you had one of these, you had this little cratty fella and there was a light next to his legs and his arms. And as the lights came on, you had to move them. So he was doing Kung Fu. And the faster you did it, the more you scored. And mine broke down. So I tried to do what? I was 10? had an. A, a hyperactive mind, what did I try and do? Fix. fix it, took it apart, put some blue tack in there, and it worked for a while, then it broke. And then I'd forgotten I'd fixed this, I gave it to my parents and says, Look, this doesn't work, you need to take it back to the shop. And they said, They asked me, Have you done anything to it? What did I say? No. no. So she took it apart and found blue tack. You can be sure your sins will find you out, okay? And the thing about if you tamper with the gospel, it will find you out. And it will be no good for anybody. The gospel is a finely tuned machine that is guaranteed to save people from God's wrath. Look at Jesus' words. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like this. Next one, please. What does Jesus say about the gospel? I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, that's the gospel, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Can you see the gospel? Let me ask you, on how many occasions, what percentage would you give it? On how many occasions does the gospel? Empowered by God's Spirit, under God's call of election, how many times does he work? What's the percentage of, of times that he works and the percentage of the times that he fails? It's, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. He works 100 times out of 100. It's the ultimate statistic. You can never fail. Acts... 13, I think, Paul preaches, okay? And how many people come to faith? All that God has called to faith. The point is, it always works. It's why it must never, ever be tampered with. It's timeless. It, it transcends culture. It must therefore never be, never be exposed to innovation, any innovators here? You're an innovator. This has got a fantastic brain. He can fix any solution. To, uh, he can find any solution to any engineering problem. But the gospel doesn't need you. Okay? It doesn't need innovation. Do you understand? It doesn't need innovation. It doesn't need renovation. Who's good at restoring houses? Who's good at restoring houses? Anyone here good at restoring houses? Okay? You? It doesn't need you. The gospel doesn't need renovation. It doesn't need innovation. And I think I've got one more. It doesn't need transformation. Who's going to make themselves look really good in the morning? Okay? George, George. And it doesn't need you. The gospel doesn't need you. Stop the lipstick, the mascara. It just doesn't look good on you. Okay? It may look much better on me, but not good on you. Right? So the gospel doesn't need innovation, renovation, transformation. It doesn't need improving or added to. Paul's issue with the Galatians is that they are tampering with it in such a way, he tells them, look, is that they're perverting it. It's becoming no gospel at all. It's throwing people into confusion. In fact, a strong word is perverting the gospel That's a really strong word. Can you see? And he's telling them, leave it alone. We have to remember, look, the reason Paul is so concerned about the Galatians and what's happening to the gospel is because who planted that church, those churches in Galatia? That his baby. That his baby. Your parent, you're a parent. What happens if somebody touches your daughter? (laughs) Yeah. They get one of these, a right hook. Deservedly so. You see, this is his baby. And the reason he's so upset, so angry, is because these are his spiritual children. Infants, babes that he left intact. And here they are being, being hammered by these Judaizers who are destroying their faith. So the first point is the gospel must never be Tampered with, modified, adapted or added to. secondly, and that's a brief point for us to finish off with. Okay, secondly, Paul's gospel, it's divine origins and apostolic affirmations. What am I, what am I saying? What's that point going to go on about? Next slide please. And the next one. What am I saying there? Paul's gospel, it's divine origins and apostolic affirmation. What's my point there before we get onto it? The first bit. It's divine origins. What are we we saying? What's the point there that I want to confirm now? It's from God. It's Davidic. Okay, it's it's divine. And the second thing that we're going to look at together, first thing that Paul said, it's from God directly. And the second thing, it's not new to the church. It's not new. Paul is not doing something new. What has he got? Apostolic affirmation. What, what am I meaning by that? Confirmed by it's confirmed by the other apostles. That's the what we're looking at, okay? We're saying Paul's gospel without law is nothing new. First of all, it came from Jesus, came from God. And secondly, it's not brand new. The other apostles understand it, although we're going to see in chapter 2 Peter has lost something or hasn't quite grasped something of his uniqueness. So here it is, verse 11. Uh, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation revelation from Jesus Christ. Three things he's saying in the negative. He's saying, it hasn't originated with the wisdom of this world. Okay? Look, Anybody, any wise, worldly, worldly, wise people? Well, he's worldly, and you're wise. We'll put you together. <laughs> there you <go>. Okay? <laughs> okay, Worldly wise, okay? Two people. Okay, it could not have come from you guys because who the heck would have as a gospel system the death and humiliation of a guy in order to remedy a human problem? I mean, who, who would write that? Who would even think of that? It totally turns human reasoning upside down. It's got no human origin. Nobody in the world is, in fact, let me ask you, All religions, apart from Jesus Christ, him crucified, are made by man, invented by man, inspired, no doubt, by the devil. Okay, what other religion in the world has a death of its God in humiliation in order to redeem its people and put them right with God? What other religion has even copied that? Because it's absolutely ridiculous, don't you think? And that's Paul's point, that this hasn't come from human on human reasoning. Nobody would think of it. B, it's not been passed down to him through oral or written tradition. You see, by Paul's day, lots of people were documenting Jesus' life. And Paul wanted to know, look, he hasn't actually learned about the gospel through reading the documents. The third thing he wants to be said is, it has not been taught to him by scholars. Who did Paul Study under, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he studied under the greatest teacher of his day, Gamaliel. And he wants you to know, Gamaliel, Gamaliel hasn't taught him this gospel. So Paul hasn't learned it from worldly wisdom, okay? He, he hasn't read it, although the writings were going around. He hasn't been taught it by the scholars. How did he get it? By God. Specifically, Specifically through Jesus Christ. Jesus. When did he first have an encounter with Jesus? Acts 9, the Damascus Road. But then as you read Acts, what does Paul have? What, what experiences, who does people, who does Paul see more than one occasion and spend time with throughout Acts? Jesus. The reason Jesus appears to him, comes to him, and we we're assuming, therefore teaches him the gospel that's his point let me move on to verse 13 and 14 verse 14 i was advancing in judaism beyond my own age and amongst my many people is why do you think paul is flashing his credentials here listen to him look pardon yeah because why does he have to why is he flashing his his mosaic credentials because what's he what's he trying to trying to undermining Galatia? Moses. You see, see, you can only talk about Moses and say he's not relevant today if you know about Moses. That's why Lynn hasn't written Galatians. I know that. Because Lynn knows as much about Moses as I do, which is very little. Okay? Right? So the reason Paul is flashing his credentials, look, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. In fact, if, let me t- take it to Philippians and I will show, show you the true credentials of 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 Paul. Look, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of the Israel, of people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law how well did Paul know the law how well did Paul keep the law look at him look at him how well he was the elite Pharisee he knew law he did law he was a he 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 was sold out to law Paul is qualified. That's his point. You see, he's the quintessential Jew. He has every right to speak about law. And look what he tells the Philippines. This is why he's so angry in Galatians. Look what he tells the Philippines about law. Have we understood this? Next one, please. Look what he tells them. Will you read this with me? Uh, whatever were gains to me in the law, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's he thinking about his years, decades of study and learning and garments and excelling? How does he consider it now? Well, yeah, you're going to come to that, Peter. First of all, it's loss. And then verse eight, listen to this. What is more, I consider every single thing about my Judaism a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Can you see what he's saying? This one is so great that this one now must be so rubbish in comparison. That's what he's saying. And I have lost all things. And how does he con- consider them? I now consider them. How does he consider everything of his past, his Judaism, his Phariseeism, his legalism? What does he think of it now? garbage and in fact that's not what the greek says let me give you the greek okay okay he considers it here's the greek word i'm going to put it on the heresis okay skubalon okay that's the greek word there okay skubalon it's translated in some translation garbage here's what it means somebody read what it means loudly this is what the word actually means someone read that loudly for me please Okay, can you see Paul's point? He uses the strongest possible language. He's referring to that entire law system in comparison to the wonder of Jesus as excrement. He, can you see he's making a point here? This is use of language. We, we, use, we use hyperbole, don't we, sometimes? Uh, to, 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 uh, you know, we don't necessarily mean... Like, I might say, look, Jingo's got a, a beard the size of a, a, of a giraffe's neck. <laughs> do you say that? Well, okay, well, I say that. Okay, yeah. no, uh, I don't really mean that, do I? I'm trying, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to demonstrate the length of it. Paul's not really saying the law is excellent, but what it, his point rather is... Yes, thank you, Charles. In comparison, Jesus is so great, so wonderful, so brilliant, everything else is muck. That's the point. And so Paul's come to that position, hence, in Galatia, he flashes his credentials. He's saying, look, I know what I'm talking about. Okay? I'm talking... As an insider, as someone who's been there and done that, and I need to finish my time is up. Let me just finish off, and he goes into two, two, and then look. Uh, this is the apostolic affirmation, and I won't go into it now. He, he, all he's doing is he's demonstrating that what he's preaching has been accepted and known and taught by the other apostles. Paul is not alone. In speaking this, he's not the only one who's putting this forward. That this is the gospel that Jesus passed on to the 11. They preached it. In fact, he says here, when they met him, they affirmed that he was an apostle. They affirmed that he knew the gospel. They, in, in, in effect, were saying, Paul is one of us. In fact, Paul is most probably the real and authentic 12th apostle. Not Matthias. Matthias, it seems, was the human reasoning and choice. But the real 12th apostle is this guy. So I'm done. Let me leave you with this application. There'll be lots of applications to coming in Galatians. I'll give you one brief one now to close. Our point is simply this Christian. As Christians, we do not turn to these pages to learn how to live. We turn to those pages to learn Jesus it's these pages that teach Christians how to live. It's very important. Legalism is putting that onto people who belong there. And, and that, let me just expand it. That can be any form of legalism. I mean, I'm talking about uh, Jingo, I don't remember saying it's Jingo, but Jingo could create a legalism of his own that in order to, be, to belong to this church, you have to have a beard this long. <laughs> he could say that, and then we all start growing beards. And, then, and, and, then, and if you don't have the big enough beard, well, you'll be out, Carol, straight away. If you, you wouldn't get in. Yeah. Can you grow a beard that long? Well, you're out. You see, see so we can create these legalisms of all sorts of things. And Paul's point is, and this is my point to you now, there must never be legalisms in Christianity. Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And my last word, if you've yet to come to faith, if if Jesus is yet to be your reality, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. He's the only one that makes peace between you and God. You need Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll take a moment, and musicians will lead us in our final song. Let that just sink in, you know.